Hello, welcome to uh, Sky News Home Counties, where we have a labor leader, Keir Starmer, uh, here responding to allegations that he is boring. I would like to put paid to any accusations that I'm boring. These are incorrect and also fundamentally untrue. As you can see, if you'd like to just pass out these handouts that I've prepared, <laughs> itemized on pages 1 through 19 are examples of the fact that I am not boring. For example, I am a member of the Campaign for Real Ale, which involves drinking lots of pints of real ale. Would a boring man do Sorry, that? Uh, uh, Mr. Starmer, uh, uh, this is uh, Adam, Adam, the bug Adam Bolton swallowed, uh, Sky News, uh, other home counties. Uh, are there any girls at these uh, real ale parties? Technically, no, but I'm trying. I'm trying to bring some along. I'm currently in negotiations with Julia Fox to get her to come down to a campaign for real ale meeting. I think that if we could get Julia Fox behind the campaign for real ale, that it really has a chance of success. And, and what do you say to members of your own party who have accused you of being boring? I would say, look, we all don't want to be boring but sometimes a man has to come forth and say this beer is not real beer it's not bitter enough it's not hoppy enough it doesn't contain enough earthy notes to constitute a serious english beer and i think that's something we all have to acknowledge and keep in mind when we're talking about ale uh, thank you very much lee mr leader of the opposition Quite contrary to, as, as you may have heard in our uh, uh, TF Players rendition of what we think that uh, interview with Starmer would have been like. That's right. Uh, would we watch it? Heavens no. Well, we're uh, all being played by qualified uh, actors. Yeah. W wasn't really pulling my weight in the TF Players yeah. there, to be honest. Mm, no. Well, look, I, look, we need Alice's stage manager for the TF Players. Well, That's Alice's right. lines were cut. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's just coming in at the end like, you love blood. That's right. <laughs> Alice was Officer's Batman number four. That's right. Well, Alice was going to be uh, understudy. The mask. Understudy in case uh, I got COVID again, uh, which I did, but now don't have. Mm -hmm. um, You're free Olsen, from Olsen Riley. Again. Yeah. Uh, no, mm. I uh, I believe I got COVID uh, well at the uh, J Electronica stage at Primavera, were surrounded by a bunch of like white Europeans chanting real hip hop. Which was fun. Real hip hop. You got the little kill cam thing where you mm. see uh, like an accounts manager roll his R's and it causes mm. one of the COVID molecules to like go into your lungs. The only more you mm. way to get COVID is if you were tucking into a plate of oysters and one of them had like comical green stink lines that came out of it, but you <laughs> ate it anyway and it gave you COVID. Mm. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Hi, everyone. Uh, it's TF. Uh, you know what mm. it is. Uh, it is. Milo, Alice, Riley, and Nate, mm. uh, because uh, Hussein is, uh, I assume, off on his honeymoon enjoying a heart-shaped bed somewhere. Yeah, he's, he's on secondment to wife Gaiastan. Yeah, that's right. You know what sucks is I was going to make a joke. I realized I was typing it out about groom sane, honeymoon's Vani, but then I was like groom slash grooming, groom, etc. Like no longer wife affiliated or marriage affiliated. Now it's just uh. the purview of right wing freaks, and that sucks. Yeah, we've lost a great word. Away from us. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What what word next, right wing? Mm. Um, horse? <laughs> are you, you going to take horse? Yeah. Uh, no. How um, dare you, hound? 
<laughs> Come on, let's not you know. Let's not say things you can't take back. No, that's right. uh, but no, it's what I find very funny about that uh, Starmer boring thing. He did actually say to his uh, shadow cabinet, "Please stop calling me boring." It's not really. I mean, these the, all, the knives boring. The knives are out in the shadow cabinet office, and Yon mm. uh, West Streeting has a lean and hungry look, albeit hungry mostly for McDonald's. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> West Streeting can't call anyone boring. Come on. Although here's the he's, thing: he's what? a fun time. What do you think is not fun about a guy who has spent his entire life within and against the Labour Party? Labour's answer to Matt Hancock. Uh, mm. God. But it, without any of the sense of fun, that no. would be a non-boring prime minister. Matt Hancock is a more effective Labour politician than Wes Streeting. That's true. Uh, I'll, I'll say this, though. The, the, they think, like, that's all very fun, right? Uh, mm. You know, Keir Starmer being angry about being boring. What's much more fun, though, is Lisa Nandy coming out and saying, I would find Hell it yeah. deeply exciting to have a prime minister who is prepared to act with honour. <laughs> Strength and honour. A, a very complicated sentence structure there. I mean, that's peak mm. sort of Starmerist labor is like, well, w would you have not been the prime minister who would have? Like, it's fucking Ovid. And at the end yeah. of that, when you untangle all the fucking clauses and shit is honor. A thing which yeah. no one gives a shit about, oh, least of all Boris. Lisa Nandy has been hit on the head by a coconut and is sort of convinced half that she is like Kato the Elder and half that she's in the court of Imperial <laughs> Japan and has we're, just we're begun AI-generating sentences. We're going back to, Milo, your least favourite protest sign, which was mm. uh, Keterim Kenseo, uh, how, how long, oh, Theresa May, must we suffer oh, your injustices? It was patientia. Nostra Theresa May or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's the one. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Here's the yeah. thing, though. That Lisa Nandy sentence, I simplified it. I'm going to redo the straight oh, dough. Yeah. I would find it deeply exciting to have a prime minister who is prepared to act with honor and integrity to abide by the rules that he himself had made. <laughs> oh, that's a Latin sentence. The nested fucking. That's got an ablative absolute in it. A hundred percent. This is. She's become Cato the Elder. What has happened to Lisa Nandy? <laughs> Um, this is like Freaky Friday, but with a guy who died two thousand years ago. Um, and I mean, again, the um, it, I think it's it is again, it's it's very amusing that it's in, in this sort of just with with the the government rolling slowly from crisis to crisis, sort of limp limping on, sort limp of biscuit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, eating the limp biscuit, uh, <laughs> awful. Gross. Yeah, uh, and uh, it, uh, all it's we're able, all they're able to do is be like, well. I, I I don't think I'm boring. I think that I'd act with integrity and honor. No, I think the, that's boring. The voters want excitement. They want honor and integrity. Come on. I'm, right. not, I'm not a regular Labour leader. I'm fun, but also honorable. I'm like a samurai. There's no way that I can have leave this in the episode, but all I can think of is this dumb joke I used to hear frat guys saying in fucking Indiana University 15 years ago. Every time you guys keep jumping in about honor, and I just think... <laughs> And like that's been fucking going around my head this entire time. <laughs> uh, Powerful. An episode mostly for us. <laughs> just, just beep out the entire thing. <laughs> that's the most fun option. A thing frat guys used to say. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly that. Um, um, I what's what's going around in my head is uh, Gladiator, the Keir Starmer overdub. Strike the honor. <laughs> My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, 
general of the Phoenix Legions, and loyal servant of the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Mysterial code. Father to a murdered son, <laughs> husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Well, it was. I think it was the um, uh, Alistair Campbell's podcast. They were like, mm. what if... What if the Prime Minister had to swear an oath on the ministerial code? Do you think that would improve <laughs> and, and do <laughs> the what if Bible? he broke it? Commit fucking sippuku? I mean- I, Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, that's Lisa and Andy again, straight in there. <laughs> She's like, I agree. Standing by to behead him with the Daikatana, yeah. <laughs> it's just the, the sort of- just absolute relentless dysfunction of everybody involved at the top level here. Also the same thing, right, where- um. The French legislative elections have like returned a, I believe, like a minority government for Macron as well, right? With a with a beefed up left, yes, but also yeah, a nukes. eighty more seats for the fucking uh, Front in, National in, in, in fifty six of sixty one yeah. seats where there was a runoff between the uh, far right and the far left candidates. The uh, Macron voters stayed home. Yep, and uh, like it just it's 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 genuinely the liberals hate. Socialist more than fascist thing yet again. You know what you can do? You know what's really fun and free to do is search from at Ian Dunt left abstentionism and see what he had to say about the matter. Uh, yeah, anyway. So, but, well, so much for Manu's imperial presidency. That's the oh, fun yeah. thing. It's it's less of a Jupiterian presidency and more of a um Hephaestian no, presidency. It is a Jupiterian presidency in the sense that he's gonna go to Jupiter to get stupider. <laughs> That's right. That's another thing that the, frat guys the, used to say in Indiana in the yeah. 2000s. The finest dunks of fourth grade. Oh, that's the thing I was thinking about recently is a lot of friends have kids who are getting to be early primary school age and I'm like, it's so annoying when they get one thing in their head and they can't shut the fuck up. Mm. Can you imagine what how awesome it must be to be a seven-year-old in here? You go to Jupiter and get stupider for the first time? Oh, that must be like mm. discovering cold fusion for them. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think the, the, what I'm driving at here, right, is that there seems to be this manifest inability. We've discussed mm. various facets of it, whether it's the inability of the states to uh, get Build Back Better passed or indeed to like continue mm. to safeguard anything approaching civil rights, even though a, a, a Democrats sort of hold all, all three, all, all three sort of, up, or sorry, hold that two of the three major branches of government. There is an inability to govern there. There is an inability to form a, a meaningful government in France. There is an inability... To get get to to govern here, there's an it, the, the the Overton window has been restricted to won't work here, and that mm. it seems like of all of the countries that kind of agree had consensus neoliberalism kind of just bolted into place from like the 1990s, it seems as though they are more or less all completely failing to meet the challenges of the day. Well, maybe we can get an op-ed from Tony Blair to explain to us how we went wrong. A rare intervention. It's funny because I was gonna be like, yeah, I think I saw a tweet about that today this morning on Twitter. I was like, oh yeah, it was you, Riley. I forgot. Whoops. Yeah, but no, you're Riley right. Though. I mean, working out the idea for the show before. I, 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 I do think there's a point there though that like if you think about the way in which the consensus of sort of this is anything besides this is impossible uh, being the dominant mode of politics in Britain and in America since the 90s, the extent to which that sort of 90s narrowing of horizons has never really gone away. Like there are other countries that are doing better in terms of like you know trying different politics, and here in the UK and in America, it feels like there's this idea that well, this that wouldn't work anyway, so we aren't going to do it. And it's just it's wild to see how many squandered opportunities there have been, um, both in terms. I think to me, the one that really has been bothering me when I think about it is when I think back to the 
overarching dominance that Obama had in his first administration, specifically in that first Congress. Two years where he could have done anything. And like the idea that they were like, oh, but the, the, the filibuster won't let us. Like, man, fuck the filibuster. Fuck you. They could have done anything. And they didn't. And it's like, I, I don't want to harp upon this idea that the simplest and most vulgar explanation is the, the truest, but it's just sort of like, it, you would probably be more accurate or, or you would probably wind up being correct in more instances if you looked at why the Democrats in America have not done things when they were in power. Because if you were to explain it as, they want those problems to exist like a sort of Damocles so they can fundraise. That might be a simplistic explanation, but it's certainly mm, it's closer yeah. to accurate, in my opinion. And another that, win for vulgar Marxism. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? It kills me because it's just like, if you look at what's happening here, if you look at what's happening in America, like right now, I mean, Joe Biden falling off his bike notwithstanding, it's definitely looking like uh, they're going to get their fucking lunch ate during uh, the, the midterm congressional elections. And you know, once that happens, it doesn't matter how many zero ideas they ran on. It's going to be the left's fault because it always is. Because you know, you're going to have your sort of rare intervention. It's a spectacle. It's it's because they they because it's 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 the total disconnection. And again, I think you can see this. This is sort of um, this is something that's occurring to me from just seeing the sort of continued failure of the gears to mesh together in these consensus neoliberalism countries. To see the failure of. Uh, the failure of the centrist project in France on its own terms, uh, and, and the, much of that failure was, again, as you said, Nate, designed in sort of fucking the left where they could. Uh, again, beating themselves by fucking the left. But also, finally, um, to sort of to say that, yeah, that, that you know, we're looking at, at places that, let's say, didn't have that or where that consensus neoliberalism was never consensus, where it was always one side of a conflict, where there has been another thing pushing against it in South America, for example. There are, um, let's say, transformative. There are transformative elections actually happening. Yeah, yeah I mean, good you, news from Colombia. Yeah, yeah. You, you have a left-wing president in Colombia. You have, um, you know, a left-wing president in Chile. Uh, you have left-wing governments in Mexico. Obviously, he's still in Nicaragua, Honduras, which is a rare, rare one because Honduras is, was mm-hmm. has been a right-wing stronghold for a long time. Um, so Ian Dunt's crying now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, funny. don't worry. Don't worry for Ian Dunt. Guatemala is still run by a fucking right wing military <laughs> dictatorship and everything but name. So, um, but uh, what I was going to say is, is that when you look at, for example, I was thinking about this earlier today. Yeah, I, I was looking at the news too and, and saw the stuff about Colombia. And, you know, it's good to see that. Uh, was when I thought about like much like Tony Blair's rare interventions, when Hillary Clinton's rare intervention to basically try to strong arm the Haitian government into not raising their minimum wage more than a do- up to more than a dollar an hour because uh, Fruit of the Loom basically asked her for a favor through the Clinton Global Initiative. We need those I'm with her t-shirts. Come <laughs> it's, on. Like, it's like, it's like, people are like, oh, will man. people still be with her if they don't have the t-shirts? Nothing, they won't no, be able nothing, to look at their own chest and be reminded. Nothing, nothing's going to work. You know, it's like nothing but consensus neoliberalism is going to work. Like, we can't do anything else is going to fail. Like, you, you, the third way is the only way to do it. It's like, have you potentially tried running someone who didn't intercede to block the raising of the minimum wage in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere? on a personal appeal from an underwear company like there's just an element like a degree of venality to that that always makes me laugh in a dark way because it's just like man fuck like you were being told that's the best there is and i i i have a story i was in a spin class in new york during the 2016 election like and i think it was after the primary but before the general election and she me remember hillary's campaign headquarters was in brooklyn 
And so she's in this spin class. And I guess like an entire fucking group from Hillary for America was there like doing a group exercise class. And they had when they go low, we go high. But it was the we go high part was written in Hebrew for some reason. And so? they were all exercising together. And then I just remember thinking about them. And all I can think of is like when Jeff Goldblum's fucking crew of twinks gets wiped out in the life aquatic. And he's just getting in front of <laughs> 15 crosses. That's what I always think of Hillary fucking eating shit. And then like all those people with those inscrutable shirts that you wouldn't understand unless you speak English and Hebrew doing fucking spin classes on a weekday when they ought to be fucking campaigning and they lost they lost a layup election it's incredible all of, the, all of those people were the same ones whose jobs were to order lawn signs in michigan <laughs> Look, someone well, they else ordered the it. signs with the accent he ordered them all in hebrew so they let's get sent back <laughs> and they yeah, went shit. printed in time uh, well if, the last thing i, I want to talk about the bunch before we sort of get into some of the stuff i have prepared as well which is of course reuters uh, uh, hot on off the press of again like uh of Hot off of the uh, off of the, the of the result, putting Gustavo Petro into power in Colombia, uh, has published the following headline. Again, this is in the world in which uh, the consensus neoliberalism that much of what we've been trapped in has been absolutely capping returns is just throwing the world into a recession. The thing that we did zero interest rates to like prop up after the housing crisis should have discredited it, right? That thing. Uh, well, Reuters has said that the, this break from consensus neoliberalism or this, this sort of break, this move to a different politics in Colombia, this is their headline. Colombia's first leftist leader, Gustavo Petro, targets inequality. Investors on edge. <laughs> oh, no. Sigh. I hate Again, it. Again, if you, if, if you want to understand capital, read the fucking capitalists' papers. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, mm. that's, uh, look, look, we need to make sure that nothing works. Because, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, the line gets sad. To be fair, mm. I can think why some people who have, like, large financial commitments in Colombia specifically might be quite on edge a lot of the time. Investors considering starting a small plates restaurant. <laughs> but also, I mean, something that I'd point out, too, is that um, Colombia's vice president is a black Colombian woman who, at one point in her life, was, a, was like a domestic cleaner. And, like, Colombia's politics has been pretty, call it pigmentocracy in a lot of ways mm -hmm. so this is a lot of like this is a lot of sort of momentous things for uh movements of people that like i think it completely turns the advice of like anything that's not fucking guy in a hard hat is fringe diversity issues and it's gonna alienate the white working class like you can't find a place more to jordan peterson for joining yeah that, that's also every every fucking nerd who works for the democratic party look like there's there's this you can't i can't think of countries that are more like politics fucking governed on racial lines in Latin America. And here you have a coalition winning. Like, I think when you look at stuff like living standards of living wages, you know, what the government does, what it, what it can provide, those kinds of things. Like when you actually say you're going to do things to fix people's fucking living situations, like it's amazing what you can do. And I feel like th what, what kills me is that we're always told, no, that's, that's a, that's a, what are the some cheating? Sometimes people say, what did that? Mm -hmm. There's some dickhead for like the wall street journal who, when Trump won, basically said it was uh, be the fault of boutique sexualities. Yeah. Uh, I was like, cause I go, and buy my fucking sexuality in a goddamn store like yeah. a, a small store luxury beliefs <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, sure. luxury luxury beliefs etc and it's like nah man i mean like like uh, have you ever seen the way right-wing latin americans talk about people who aren't white by their standards like holy fuck man like it, yeah. it, it's Amer it, it makes america look like fucking nordic social democracy and that's and it's saying something yeah um mm. and so i look at this stuff and i just think like he, the thing is that people are voting for this because they actually believe that they are capable of improving their lives and that they will actually do it 
And it's like the Democrats were like, no, we won't do that. And also it's illegal for you to say that you want to do it. And then when they lose, they're like, oh, the left did this to us. Yeah. Why did you defund the police? We, we have to increment the big rare intervention counter that I'm suggesting we put up mm. because Hillary Clinton has done another rare, rare yeah. intervention. Yeah, what if, uh, what if Tony Blair lost all the fucking time and basically it's Hillary Clinton? What if Tony Blair triple the losses? Yeah, because what we were all sitting around asking ourselves was we need advice on how to win elections from like someone with a proven track record. Isn't Who there one man to? you forgot to ask? <laughs> that's the thing, right? I think that's the, it's funny you mentioned that because that is a really good point. Like Bill Clinton actually did win. Like Bill Clinton bucked yeah. the trend. Fuck Bill yeah. Clinton, but he bucked the trend of <laughs> a lot of people did. Yeah. Let me tell you that, pal. Uh, <laughs> he bucked the trend of the Southern strategy and won as the Democratic governor in Arkansas and then as president twice. You know, in the face of Reaganism when he was running for governor and then subsequently post post Reagan. Um, whereas Hillary, like, yeah, she was a senator from New York, but like, she was a senator in a state that always elects Democrats. Where like, once you win the primary, which is basically a coronation, you are going to win. And yeah. like, and then she lost in 08 to Obama, despite going full racist. Mm. And uh, I mean, I don't know if you remember this, if you guys were paying attention at the time, but Hillary Clinton during the 2008 primary, when Obama was clearly winning, people were like, "Why haven't you dropped out?" And she's like, "Well, Bobby Kennedy got killed in June." And yeah, yeah like, I remember that. Yeah. Oh wow. Like, yeah, well, she forgot she's to like, ask Come the guy. on, the FBI. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, yeah. I think the, the what I think the the thing that I want to sort of drive home here with the comparison case, right, of these these two elections and sort of remembering things, which again, it's illegal to do apparently unless you're like yeah. one of like I don't know a few tens of thousands. I would of listen to Hillary Clinton's opinion if she had won. That's the thing that I'm trying to say, yeah. and I find it very but, funny that we're you know as you're as you're saying that we're basically the people who cannot stop fucking losing are like, well, if yeah. you do that, you're going to well, lose. Very 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 quickly before we move on, I think like Bill Clinton and Tony Blair are examples of like a slightly earlier stage of neoliberalism where they would promise to do stuff and then just not really yeah. do it. Whereas yes. Hillary Clinton is a later stage where it's like, oh no, I'm not going to do anything, and I'm also then not going to do yeah. it. Also, they call themselves the, they they were the original Island Boys. Yeah. Um. So, but the. Uh, <laughs> the the thing I, I'm sort of trying to draw out with this comparison and this sort of active memory is that so much of the uh, limitations drawn around politics now in Western Europe and North America uh, are fake. They are fake limits. They are li and they're imposed largely by spectacle because there is this because there is the shadow play of people asking Hillary Clinton what to do. There is the shadow play of, um, of, of, of saying, well, the investors are going to be on edge if you elect the leftist president, et cetera, well, that, et cetera, that, right? That's, that's what an Overton window is, right? Yeah. That's what it's originally but, designed to describe, is that yeah. phenomenon. But what I, what, and I think that it's, it's important to remind yourselves as well that the Overton window isn't just this thing, and it's not just a different mm. one in Colombia because of, it's closer to the equator. It's a, it's a, a product of people's <laughs> Southern hemisphere. Yeah. The, 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 the window goes Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the politics when yeah. the politics swirl in a different direction when you flush the toilet. But that what it is, is, is it, this is a product of ideology and contestation, and that where we have lost the ability to do that, you know, we didn't lose it, where it was taken away, basically, is you, you find uh, nothing but uh, sort of dysfunction and disengagement. Mum said it's my turn on the U.S. Senate. Also, I mean, like, like just just because I know a little bit about Colombia. I mean, like, Colombia was always touted as the example of like the 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 the, the pinnacle of why Western Hemisphere strong presidential bicameral states fucking suck because like it was constantly in sort of internecine conflict between its two parties. Like, then you have uh you know post World War II era, you have the drug war, you have a civil war, like. Colombia has been governed by right-wing paramilitaries, by right-wing parties. Like it's never had a left-wing 
it's like Honduras was one of the, a country like this, but but Colombia I think was a much more violent place in terms of the conflict that was taking place within. Whereas Honduras was more of like a staging area for other violent conflicts in Central America. This is a huge thing, and part of this is because I think there's been a shift uh, in the electorate in Latin America, like a lot more. Like I I think that you don't have the sort of boomer moneyed landed class the way that you do in in the, the global north in the sense that like if you look at chile if you look at colombia if you look at, even at mexico like there just isn't this bubble of wealth and sort of status the way there is in britain the way there is in america i mean there certainly is a fucking huge income inequality and wealth inequality like don't get me wrong but like it's not as generational because if it's generational, it's multi-generational because the people who have the money like have it from Fincas from yeah, like the fucking 17th century. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Why does this Mexican guy have a German surname? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's like, you know, it's, it's, I think that's a linked explanation, right? Why do we have this sort of, um, this entire class? Why, why do we have a people of, of a generation where that generation kind of has a class element was because so much of the money that was plundered from being able to create a stable middle class in these countries yeah. was moved I mean, up I, here I, and used to create permatories. I, I thought it was really interesting what, what Gustavo Petro said recently. I think last night he basically said, for people who are worried we're going to overthrow capitalism, don't worry, we still need to overthrow feudalism in this country first. <laughs> like, and genuinely, like the situation, I mean, I think this is something specifically about Brazil. I remember seeing this comparison, but it's true of other countries. The only country in Latin America that doesn't have this enormous wealth inequality disparity is Costa Rica. And the reason for that is that Costa Rica never had the kind of like massive plantation farm economy because it's, it's super mountainous and like it just was poor. So like other than Costa Rica, basically that what you described, aristocracy, that was 100% the case. And the sort of like landed families controlling everything and politics just being kind of window dressing on that. Um, and I think in Brazil in particular, but I think Colombia is similar in this regard. Like the people who are in the upper classes, the people who have a standard of living comparable to someone living in West, in the Western part of Germany or in, in North America, in America, in Canada. But people in the, the lower class, people in the poorest circumstances have uh, as poor conditions as anywhere in the global South. In play, anywhere like places like uh, in Sub-Saharan Africa, in the poorer parts of South Asia. Like genuinely the disparity in Brazil is like a rich person lives like they live in fucking Berlin and a poor person lives like they live in like Haiti. Like genuinely, it's that bad, and so feudalism is about the only word I can think of to describe it. Yeah, and I mean, it's the to to see this. I mean, it's it is to see it. You know, uh, be able to be redressed. I guess it just, in addition to being a, a good thing in itself, it reminds you that you know there that so long as you can, if you can discover and channel your um, oppositionalism uh, into an actual institution, it's not, and if you can. If you can actually do that, then it is not it is not permissible to give up. It just ha- you just have to you just have to keep that flame burning somewhere. Sure, and, and I would also and I would also yeah. say too that like uh, a single political party called the Labour Party in Britain may not be the vehicle for that. But that doesn't necessarily just because they've they've crushed the left in Britain electorally does not mean that like all of us have gone away or that like what we believe in has gone away. It's just that like that vehicle has been uh, slowed. That vehicle has been derailed for the time being. But I think that, like, you are, you know, I, I, I take a lot Much of stuff. like the 2012 BMW 320i convertible. <laughs> it can be fixed. It can be put back on the road. If you Keir go to Starmer. enough garages yeah. run he, by guys called Keir, Kieran. Keir Starmer has crawled underneath the left and sawed off our catalytic converter. That's right. I, I, w- I would say, though, that... But uh, we will rebuild. I look, I look at, like, in the United States, it looks like shit's really bad right now. You know, you've got fucking mm. all sorts of reactionary garbage being kicked around, like psychotic McCarthyism and fucking... 
you know, deranged right wing. Um, Eric, Eric Greitens' campaign ad was, "What if we did a death squad on yeah. Republicans in name only?" Um, you know, you look at like anti-trans bills and all this trans panic, gen- like 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 anti, basically yep. homophobia, just full bore home of like the homophobia that I recall from growing up in Indiana, basically like everywhere in politics now. But also, Which is incidentally, very funny if you're one of the like uh, cis gay dudes who are like, "What if uh, we concede to the transphobia and that's just everything they want?" Yeah, well, turns out the LGB alliance weren't as smart as they thought they were. Yeah, mm. weird how that works. But the the point the point I was going to make though is that like I also see lots of news of uh, strike action and unionization drives and things along those lines happening in America in places where we were told before that this was impossible in companies like Amazon and Starbucks. And I think that like you can see these countercurrents taking place. I hope that that winds up being the the story of this coming decade and not just like capital winning and then just fucking you know floss dancing on us. But like. I do also. I I don't think you can be like. Well, see, they have it in Latin America. They've gotten there, but we will never get there. Like, I think we can. No, we will. I just think that. I think, I think we absolutely can't. But I think not. We will. I think we can. I. Th- I but I, the way I think that they get there is they is you don't just have the it, the opposition to what's going on kind of floating around as an opinion. A little a little sort of um a little perfect list of opinions that you keep in your head. It's that in is that there there was an actual in their case very actual uh, conflict. Are you telling about me it. that I have to fucking organize well, instead of just in, posting. Well, the thing is, what we and what do we I have? Hate organizing <laughs> and what we what we I have hate it here even more than posting, and I hate posting <laughs> a lot. <laughs> what we have here, in addition to like huge unionization drives in the states, uh, we have a, a a strike wave coming in Britain as well. Mm-hmm. What appears to be a strike wave, but also even there is there are still places where that i don't know almost like manichaeanism can take place where that fight can be yeah, that, you just have that to fight find an enemy that's like ontologically evil so yeah. can i introduce you to landlords <laughs> i mean i was just thinking about this recently having i i i'm not somebody who typically goes to demos uh, yeah. i i i i i have tummy aches and anxiety problems but i got a message that they were there was almost they're trying to deport someone or roll someone up you know not too far from where I live, and I was on the train anyway. So I got off the train and went to that the the action in Peckham, and you know stood. Uh, Eleanor, uh, friend of the show, Eleanor Yanaga was there. We just stood in front of the van with a large group of people. Most the people who were had been there for a while were way further ahead in the crowd of us. But we were just there. We're like, no, fuck y'all. You can you can't you can unless you can manifest all of the cops that you would need to arrest all three hundred odd people who are here. Then fuck you. You're not We've getting to replicate PC Shufflesworth. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to make hundreds of us. You must become legion. <laughs> the thing about the thing about it is, is that like. There were lots of people who were there because of organized campaigns, groups like Louis Shamanti raids, uh, groups like Stop Deportations. Um, you, but you also just had a lot of people who lived in the neighborhood who were just like, yeah, fuck the cops, fuck, like, leave this guy alone. And I think that, to me, the thing that was the biggest takeaway was the extent to which it's just people being activated because it's something that matters to them and the opportunity existing to be there. So like, mm. I'm not an organizer. I, I, I did some door knocking. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably the wrong guy to do it with my, uh, my beloved accent here in America. But, or rather, Listen, buddy, you're gonna vote for Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna have a problem. <laughs> that was me, 100 percent in 2019. But um, but I, I do think night. that if the if the opportunity exists, if the opportunity to get involved exists, and people feel as though that there is a certain degree of, they have confidence that the people that their concerns will be addressed, and that people aren't just pulling their leg, and it's not like Owen Smith bullshit. You know what I mean? Like that genuinely can kind of spark things with people. And most people that I saw in that crowd, like. We're just locals. They're just people from around the neighborhood, like people who live in that in that complex, people from nearby in Dulwich and elsewhere in in, in Southern uh, Borough, and just like people who just as, as well as an activist group. Like 
they just didn't want to fucking see the cops win. You know what I mean? They didn't want to see the cops ruin some guy's life for some bullshit. And like, that was powerful because it was just so simple. Like, it was just, it was such a small thing. Like, but people cared enough to do it. And I guess to me, it's like, it's very easy to get blackpilled given how fucked things seem institutionally in America and in Britain. But like, that doesn't mean that will is gone. That doesn't mean that desire is gone or that that critical mass people is gone. It's just that you will have to go against the power of a fucking insane press who basically if i'm not mistaken we're on a tirade that uh builders going to therapy means they've turned woke uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep that in our back pocket though because i do have that yeah, in the notes well, what, what, one thing that occurs to me right is that uh as with the the flight to rwanda that was cancelled at the last minute mercifully uh no one thing ruining works. a lot of people's holidays <laughs> yeah <laughs> that right. would be the daily mail headline yeah yeah, uh, yeah. we yeah. spoke to one family who were hoping for the trip of a lifetime to rwanda who were furious <laughs> like they saved the, up all the coupons from the sun <laughs> newspaper the thing that actually stopped it in the end was a, a last minute legal challenge to the the european court of human rights but there were also people lying in roads yeah. trying to stop vans and i feel like all of those things happening at once is something that is going to be a recurring feature. And, and I'm, I'm going to drop a link in the show notes for the uh, fundraising for their legal fees because nine people were arrested for that. Like mm. when I was at the thing in Peckham, no one got arrested. The cops just gave up. They, they more or less like some of them, even though they, they came in and rough people up and kicked and need people and punched a woman in the face afterwards when they realized how fucked they were, they actually like started laughing at the taunts and like the jokes, like they realized how absurd the situation they were in was too. Uh, whereas in Uxbridge, like people got fucking arrested and like are being charged with bullshit for standing in front of the lying down in front of those vans. So like that's it's it, that that is another point I would make is that like I think that one of the concerns is that uh, for a lot of people, like if it's not critical mass, people if they can be rounded up and arrested, they will be. And so like I kind of want to help raise some awareness of that. That like there are folks who are now facing legal charges for having helped stop that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it's a diversity of tactics, you know. It's it's classic Lenin shit. You do illegal stuff, you do legal stuff. So you have mm -hmm. the most respectable form of activism you can have, which is going cap in hand to the courts and saying yeah. uh, this this does not like uh, fucking fit with the expressed uh, purpose of the law and the like letter of the law. And you also have lying in the road. That's you also have what Eleanor and I saw, which was I would describe as a crust punk first date at a demo where in between taunting the cops they talked to one another very very uh, openly and avidly about how hard they were going to fuck each other later that day and I was you know what that I cannot describe a thing I respect more than that yeah. folks looking like straight out of fucking extras from a Franca Potente movie in 2004 <laughs> just just ready as soon as they could find some bushes to fuck but also a gentleman taunting, and a lady in a cheek clapping based altercation taunting the cops <laughs> Uh, it was it was a beautiful thing to see, uh, and I mean on the on the Rwanda issue, right? You know, it's this is this has been subsumed into um, into something that uh, I, I've seen at least several British commentators refer to as Wedge Week. Mm. That's right, where the Tories do are going right. to do we a bunch of stuff. We need a musical like, yeah. It's no. Wedge Week. <laughs> where, We're going to fold all of this real suffering into the yeah. thing that makes politics seem like sports. Yeah, it's I, Wedge absolutely. Week. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like the big block of cheese in the West Wing. Everybody comes in, has a real life uh, human social issue. Mm. We figure it out in a sort of like uh, interesting Bartlett way, and then uh, everything's over and problem Cause, solved. Because Pretty Pretty Patel's comments about the ECHR judgment were like 
pure drill where she was like, not only do I disagree with this judgment, but I think in suggesting that Rwanda is not a safe country to send people to, it is in its own way racist. And it was so like <laughs> looking back at the crowd for approval. Were, like, that, that was the one thing is that like between them, between all of these actions, like I don't remember um, uh, a home secretary seething and coping this much in a long well, while. Well, I mean, like, all, and also in in the, the the perfect the perfect sort of horseshoe of this thing, a uh, professional crying in my beard down the authenticity pub. Paul Embry fucking was crying about how like actually it's racist to suggest that Rwanda yeah, uh, and is also, not a safe place. What what real working class communities don't have a tradition of resisting the police? Make no inquiries into any of this. I think don't don't take like the thing is it's important to never take any of these people at their word obviously hmm. because what their their whole thing is just is they just are creatures of this spectacle where they know that they they know that their role in the pantomime is to you know yell and boo and to see and again, and again to see the same um but to that but that driving this pantomime is basically an engine that runs on human suffering yeah. Yeah, and, and they want to drag you into the pantomime too. That's why a cop will laugh when you start roasting him when he knows he can't win. It's because it's in the fun zone now. But, uh, but, matter. I'll, but I also have to say that the cops did laugh at the jokes also after having beaten the fuck out of people and yeah. they absolutely would have done it harder if they thought they could have won. Like, so it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's absurd, but also there is genuine suffering there. And yes, I will say as, as, as much of a throwback comment as it is, it does seem like Pretty Patel's response in this was, I'm not mad, I'm actually laughing. But like... I firmly believe that had had you done what I think you're is going to be said here, where they're like, "Don't take the bait. They're just trying to bait you. Let them deport people to Rwanda." Like if people hadn't tried to inter to intervene, they absolutely would have deported people on yeah, that flight. They yeah. yeah, they're still but, going to. Or they're still going to try anyway. Well, that, that's the most but, British thing of all, right? It's like, well, we're the cops and we're going to beat you up if we can, but it's all still kind of the Queensbury rules. Like we can all mm. still have a chuckle about it, you know. Well, I think that's what this is. This is what gets to and why I sort of especially the concept of Wedge Week really, I think, uh, made me quite a bit angrier inside than sort of any other bit of Westminster drama has, because it is, it, it is like, like, like so much of the, the Westminster way of viewing the world is a great flattening, a, a sort of, of, of looking out into, into a world where you used to be able to pull levers and cause a lot more human misery, and now you can pull way fewer levers, but still cause quite a bit of human misery. And to see that only in the context of the little lights, it lights up on your console of who's happy and who's mad. And the little, the, the fucking disgusting confidence of, uh, like, the assumption that none of these wedges will ever affect you, right? That it, you can just sit here, your quality of living is going to remain exactly the same, and this goes on outside your window and you're totally insulated from it, is... Mm. And, and, and it's, it's why I say that... All of all of these people, the uh, everyone behind Wedge Week, all of the politicians, all of the all of these uh, the Tory strategists and their little friends in the media, all of them are going to go and visit Osiris at the end of their lives, and they're going to ask to cross into the field of reeds, and then Osiris is going to weigh their heart, and they're going to be devoured by the crocodile. Yeah, they're going to be torn they, into crocodiles. They are I mean, their yeah, heart right. will weigh more than a feather. And they will and, not be allowed and, to go to heaven. Yeah, that's that's true. If if you write one of these things about uh, how you know woke lefty lawyers are stopping us from securing our borders or whatever, Amit the Devourer is coming for your hearts. R Riley, uh, could you could you explain what they mean by Wedge Week? I think I know, but like I just for our listeners and also for my own clarity, I presume they mean that they're trying hail mary shit that they uh, uh, with the well referring to the idea of a wedge issue. Of course, so yeah, 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 yeah. The so it's the um. 
it's wedge, wedge week is the plan, which is to uh, unilaterally bla- break the Northern Ireland Protocol, to send the deport- deportation flight to Rwanda, <laughs> uh, to have the um, to have to sort of go to war against the unions. The thing that that the the thirty percent of of British people uh, who have been you know conditioned to shoot their own grandmother if the Telegraph said so, those people. This is just it. The idea is just red meat for all of them. So basically, we're going to activate the Tory headbangers by doing BSE Thatcherism. Very quickly. Yes. And then anytime anyone gets mad at us, Boris Johnson calls uh, Zelensky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. He says, no, you can't. You can't stop me. I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking with Zelensky. You can't be mad at me. <laughs> and so it, it's but I think it's the and I, th- I just think this is this is these to me, everything we've been talking about in the last 40 minutes all sort of ties intimately together, right? Which is the experience of politics as nothing but this flat spectacle, um, which is sort of what we have been sort of condemned to in, in Western Europe and North America, um, means that these, the, actual, the actual things that you are doing, the, the, the de- deportation of some of the most, um, you know, world's most vulnerable people who can, for what it's worth, legally be here, who have a legal claim to asylum, um, uh, to Rwanda, and again, in, and then to say, well, this is humanitarian, so you can't get mad at us because we're trying to stop the people smugglers and having a total sort of inability to metabolize or an unwillingness to metabolize any of that new information, that, that is all a kind of in- deeply interconnected with that flatness, is the ability to do it and the ability to sell it and the ability to say that anyone who says otherwise is being racist because fundamentally it treats these things as pretty unimportant. And what's more important is that I get my fancy job for life or that I'm a newspaper editor and that I make sure that I'm invited to the garden parties and that it's all just this. It, it's it's I, the, the image that sort of keeps replaying in my head is the is, is that of a of a, a group of a group of, of friends who are meeting who any time and who are always going to one another's houses for social events. But the tires on their cars are made of people. Mm. Oh, I see. So you're saying that a hot air balloon shouldn't look like a black person. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's real equal opportunities of you. Okay, um, all right. And, and and you know, and this is and this is sort of where you contrast the sort of the flatness of everything is impossible. So we are just going to kind of have fun with it and pa- and and play the role of of politics while still mm. doing actual politics. It's just all that can happen is. The things that cause the dopamine spike, uh, and and but nothing that can cause any kind of material transformation in the way that living happens. Well, I mean, yeah. I, all, all, all we can do is the unthinkable. Yeah. I also think that something that's interesting to me is the extent to which there's this incredible timidity on the part of the Labour Party under its current leadership. Mm. By which I mean that they are unwilling, even when it's you can look at polling of everyone besides hardcore Tory voters who will never ever vote for you. Everyone else in polling has reacted to the Rwanda deportation policy, you know, negatively, like to a large degree. Like, uh, in most cases, majorities; in some cases, pluralities. Um, but like, it's very unpopular. Aside from with 2019 Tory voters, who you know we know are you know the sort of fucking iron bloodless heart of politics in this country. So like, mm-hmm. you have to activate other people. Voter participation is pretty low in this country. Turnout's pretty low in this country. If you are going the electoralism route, you know there is an argument to be made that this po- policy is unpopular. And one of the reasons why it's unpopular is because it's so fundamentally on its face immoral. It's so obviously wrong. It's so obviously cruel for no reason at all. 
And I think the thing when I say about timidity is that the Labour Party refuses to ever address that there could be such a thing as a moral dimension in politics now. They feel, it feels to me like, like they've gotten briefing advice from the dumbest motherfucker on the planet who basically said, like, don't ever talk about stuff in moral dimensions because that's woke or something, or like, you know, the Red well, Wall won't like it. there's one exception. The, the only time they'll talk about morality is Boris Johnson going to parties that he shouldn't have gone to. That's dishonorable. But I it's enjoy not, a real ale as much as the next but, man. But this, this isn't, this isn't dishonorable. Going to a party is dishonorable. But no, thing that it wasn't, it wasn't dishonorable. It wasn't that it was immoral. They never, they didn't talk. In my opinion, they didn't talk about it in moral terms. They talked about it in terms of like that's not right because you broke the rules. Like it was this fucking hall monitor shit about like, well, the rules are the rules, and that's how they set their own fucking trap because they were breaking the rules just as anybody else was. And I think. Were you to tap into some of the incredibly unfair and uneven applications of, of lockdown rules, for example, of people getting 100, 200, 500 pound fines for smoking a cigarette outside kind of shit, like some of the mm. crazy stories that came out of people yeah, being, yeah, yeah. being fucking victimized for no reason and how uh, like in what's the right word inconsistently applied the rule was across the, the country. Like you could have some traction, but but to basically be like, well, he broke the rules and that's the problem. Like. Well, so did you guys. And you knew that and you knew it was stupid and you did it anyway. And like whoever's briefing these people is a fucking idiot. And as regards Rwanda and some of these other, the, the uh, unpopular policies, the total failure to do anything about cost of living, I think the thing that really drives me nuts is that like they could make headway if they could A, say it's wrong, and B, say here's what we're going, we have a thing we will do to stop it, and they refuse. And that's the thing that makes it, is, is it, while I'm not necessarily saying that that's going to be like, this one weird trick will fix the fucked up British media system, I still think that you can try, you can try to frame things that, where people will believe in you. And there, it seems like their argument, like you've said this before on the show, Riley, it seems like their end stage plan is to make it so fucking indistinguishable from anything else in the hopes it drives down voter turnout so low that they can win the election because two people vote Labour and one person vote Tory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's it. Well, I think like both both parties in this country sort of fear populism because they both mm -hmm. know that the British public are completely fucking insane. And I, I was talking to a friend of the show, Phoebe Roy, about this the other night, about how interesting a figure Piers Morgan is. Because he's like weirdly popular, but if you start looking into the various views Piers Morgan has expressed, they're all over the place. He's like, he's got like some really reactionary right wing views. He's got some weirdly left wing views sprinkled in there. But actually, like Piers Morgan is like the most populist guy in Britain, and everyone fears this. Like Phoebe was like, honestly, if someone ran for for like for government on a platform of save the NHS, hang the pedos, they'd be prime minister for twenty five years. <laughs> and I think that's quite an accurate estimation <laughs> well, of what this country's the, like. The, the, I do want to move on from this in a sec, but I think that the thing to remember right, is that because, and I think this is a symptom in many ways of our centralization, it's something that's happened in American television over the last several years, um, over the last sort of several decades rather, but that's been sort of so baked into just the way, Britain, the geography, the rocks and dirt of this country is the extreme centralization of everything. Yeah, we've got cursed dirt. Yeah, and I think that you, and the fact is, and, and the fact is that most people's experience of living in Britain is filtered through somewhat what someone in London thinks that they should be thinking out there in Yorkshire. And so there is this there is this boomerang effect that I think amplifies the madness. Actually, but, but when we say it, you should be thinking it out in Yorkshire. Yeah, just absolutely. We, yeah, 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 yeah. When we, we, we say it, that's different. Yeah, it's different. It's not top down. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's different it's because just so, common sense. Because so many of us aren't actually from Britain. That is yeah, true. This is yeah. a decentralized podcast. Yeah, it doesn't right, occur right. in it. It's on the blockchain. Well, okay, speaking of decentralized. Technically, it's decentralized out of London because of me. Yeah. I'm taking mm. the average out of, uh, out of London. I, I want to mm. speak a little more about decentralization, though, because if, you, if we think about, you know, well, 
what does and what doesn't government do, right? We've established so much of, and again, just that's thrown so much into, into, into great relief by sort of seeing events of, of recent uh, weeks unfold. Uh, but, and then seeing what it can and can't do. And then seeing also the other w- way it can have material impacts on the world is, of course, if you give a comically small amount of money to a Tory minister, and then they decide that they owe you their, your, your, their lives. If you yeah. give a Tory minister 15 pounds, they take a bullet for you. Access to a tiny room with very small furniture in it and designed for very small people, for example. Basically, this is, these are all things that have been revealed recently, but uh, I saw this in, um, in, in Investment Week recently, which is that uh, the UK... That was before Wedge Week. <laughs> <laughs> the UK <laughs> Treasury wants to like give the Bank of England authority to address collapsed stable coins if they register here. Awesome. <laughs> you know, how can a decentralized currency be registered in one country? Does it make any sense? Uh, so basically they're like, look, look, look. What if what if we can what if the Bank of England can take responsibility to manage the orderly collapse of a dying stablecoin? Like how they did that with banks in two thousand eight. Let's buy the dip. If there is one country that's <laughs> extremely good at managed decline, it is the United Kingdom. So I guess we're world beating in that regard. So they basically said, look, the failure of a system of a they, they, they published this paper, the Treasury. They said the failure of a system, a systemically important stablecoin could pose a wide range of financial stability as well as consumer protection impacts, which means, of course, we should uh, backstop it. But here's here's mm. the thing, right? Like, I realize that there are people who've been taken for a ride for this shit. And it sucks that people got, you know, they, they bet the house and they lost because, like, you know, people buy into scams all the time. And there are human stories to this that are very sad. And I've I've raised that point on this show before that, like. You don't lose sight of the fact that there is a lot of suffering involved. But when it comes to the actual like fundamentals of keeping these coins solvent, it's nerd shit. It's fucking nerd shit. And it's a bunch of marks or a bunch of fucking scammers. Like, it's not my problem. Yeah. Like, well, no, it I, will I, I, be because the, if the Bank of England decides that, well, we are now responsible for the orderly unwinding of the, of the stablecoin... Guess whose problem it is? Well, that's what I'm Yours. saying. Is that is it like that's why I'm saying they should not do this because for now it just exists on some losers' computers. But if it becomes real, then it's my problem. Well, here's the thing, though. That's that's this is this that's one way of looking at it. But have you considered that um, Christopher Harborn, who's a big crypto lobbyist, gave five hundred thousand pounds to the conservatives uh, before they said that oh, the UK should be a crypto so hub so cheaply, like. Like, in political terms, that seems like it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Where, like, and, and the thing is, right, already, right, we are living in one tiny jockey chair. And for this, we have agreed to dynamite our own economy. Because- yeah, buying Matt Hancock and Nando's and telling him to say <laughs> something nice about crypto. I mean, like, My- Milo-, Milo made the joke with me not that long ago that if you if you break up with your partner and then you encounter them down the road and they've gotten a lot hard- hotter, then it's the same sensation as the guy who had the laptop full of a thousand Bitcoin that he threw away and it's in a dumpster somewhere. And it's like, mm. but a thousand Bitcoin at its peak would be a lot more money than what this guy... Yeah. Was being given like hundred percent. The, the, the Tories at this point—they're not even getting bribed. They're getting nonced. They're getting bought a McDonald's <laughs> and asked if they want to go to the zoo. <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah." Putting a crypto guy in a headlock and then uh, you know walking him to the police station, but yeah. making him observe the minute silence. That's though. right. Have a bit of respect, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were going on a date with the Conservative Party, but you're actually on a date with me and Big Dave, and we're gonna walk you <laughs> to the right. cops. But here's the thing, right? The the crypto the crypto crash, right, has essentially if you replace 
Florida real estate with Bitcoin, it has been pretty much identical to the 2008-2007 financial crisis. In as much as what happened is the entire decentralized finance ecosystem was basically like a series of, um, of banks that could do interbank lending, uh, various kinds of like, like stable coins that, had, that had reserves or didn't, um, and then a bunch of insurers that would insure the various like, interbank transactions of these people against losses. What they did was they built pretty much from, first princi- from almost first principles, uh, they just created organically pretty much a one-for-one copy of the financial system. Uh, except the only difference was v- its tendrils really didn't touch the real economy that much. They've started to, right? We- we've talked about before in this show where like lots of where um, like large pension funds or in our case uh, will invest in in crypto or like national banks will want to backstop uh, stablecoin projects after the whole thing has fallen apart. Yeah, I mean, like, I got I got a little pop up at a uh, uh, uh push notification from one of the online banks that I used when I initially came to this country and had to like register as a freelancer mm-hmm. that I don't really use anymore, but I've kept my account open just in case. And they were like, use our app now to invest in crypto. Mm-hmm. And that was like yesterday. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, now? Now's the moment you want to tell... Like, fuck me, man. Like, you're basically like, hey guys, we got a great deal on Bear Stearns and it's October 2008. <laughs> like, well, getting point- in on the Ponzi scheme after everyone's it's already like, left. It's like buying Bear Stearns physical stock certificates in 2010. Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, uh, you want to get in on this Ponzi scheme? It's by a guy whose last name is... It's yeah. like, it, it, I, you just got to buy, you got to buy these certificates from a guy whose last name is Ponzi. He's in jail right now, just <laughs> FYI. <laughs> but, but, but the thing is, right, we've created this system of interbank lending and trans and like and, and, and insurance and all this right that all existed and all of these tokens moved back and forth and provided liquidity and all sorts and all sorts but really most of what it was to do was to then invest in bitcoin which you would then say we've got some of so we have more collateral so we can print more of our things so we can pump more units into this system of interbank lending right and then then the value of bitcoin kept going up because bitcoin is like the real estate in this case um, just you know, no one can accidentally live in it. It's not useful at all. Um, and and then what happened was simply as the the rates go up a little bit, and then all of a sudden, some people start wanting their money back. And then once one person too many asks for their money back, then all of a sudden, everyone's all calling in all of their loans all at once. And when the value of the asset the, of Bitcoin specifically goes down far enough, just like the when the value of Florida real estate went down far enough. That's the music stopping, and that's all of those loans coming due at once. And we and it's so strange to see like there are these big crypto hedge funds that are completely falling apart, like Three Arrows Capital, right? That's that's a Singapore-based one that what that coined the phrase "Zhu per cycle" because it's uh, started by a guy called uh, uh, Zhu. Uh, I was like, really confused for a second yeah. there, but okay. Um, and yeah, they came yeah. close there, but no. but like, and, but that's that's quite a bit. Let's a little bit like the Bear Stearns collapse. And then we ha- and then the collapse of the exchanges is is, is is very similar as well. And the collapse in the price of Bitcoin, because as it goes down, right, as the value of the asset goes down, the value like all of a sudden, if you got loans against it, you need to post more collateral. And so all of these loans are kind of all falling apart all at once. And what I find so amusing is that we went in a period of about five years or so from inventing central banking to having the 2008 crisis. Yeah, first is fast, second is fast, but much quicker. Yeah. I, I really, really do enjoy a nice game of Jenga, but I don't want to live in an entire civilization of Jenga blocks. And it does feel that way sometimes that you're like, I just, I would love to own a home that I live yeah. in. 
Oh, uh, we're, we're way beyond Jenga blocks. This is fully kaplunk. There are little rods. We're little balls balanced on the rods. There's People one are rod pulling left. the rods out. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the, that's the thing, right? I, what I wonder, right, is how much prod- actual productive... Um, how much productivity, how much, a, how much of people's lives was saved by the fact that this didn't last another six months and they wasn't able to worm its way further into the real economy? Mm. What if, like, if this lasted another six months, what if the Bank of England said, we'll handle the, un- the, the, uh, the unwinding of Terra Luna? How much worse could it have been? It's good that this grenade went off before we were able to throw ourselves onto it, we're saying. Yes. Yeah, like it's it's I it like thank God, thank God for the crypto crash because it could have been so, or at least presumably could have been so much worse because it there in in the uh, right now in in the U.S. Uh, crypto friendly Democrats are preparing to integrate more of uh, crypto and specifically again backstopping crypto into the U.S. U.S. Uh, financial regulatory system. The U.K. is just desperate to do it, and, and I think it goes back to. I think a lot of it goes back to that flattening, because when when nothing else is possible by the um, dint of the only thing that does anything, which is people doing things together by the use of by the direction of their labor, which is directed by politics, um, the only thing you can do is hope that a helpful wizard will come and just kind of make everything better without you having to do anything. Mr. Hancock, why are you wearing that wizard hat and robe? Right, right, right. Can I ask you a question as the, 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 or, the oracle, the man who understands money? Yes. Do you think that the central banks in general, and specifically in Britain, do you think that they want to get in on this because they think, number one, that they think you, they could actually leverage it for profit because they believe in it? Mm-hmm. Do you think that they do it because there's a sense of sort of needing to keep up with the Joneses with every other fucking moron, it just becomes like a snowball effect? Do you think that they do it because they know it's going to fucking implode, but it's an excuse to do austerity? <laughs> like, why? So, what in the mentality of people who, like, have entire departments about fucking risk management? Why do they fall for this stupid shit? Like, so, it just seems as though, it's like anyone, anyone who knows anything about anything at all in the economy can look at this and be like, but this doesn't have an actual fucking use. It's like stocks for companies that don't exist, that can't exist, that can never exist. But you're like, oh, but the stock's going up. I'm like, but it's nothing. It's a fucking icon. Yeah, it's, it's, it's new. Eight. That guy it's has a wizard ape. hat. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so much more. It's oh, an that, ape. Ape, that to, ape has a wizard hat. To answer your question, uh, it's not central banks that love it. Central banks are very, are generally pretty skeptical of it. Um, more usually, uh, it's that tre- like the treasury loves it, okay? Right? Because to the because to 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 sort of mainstream politicians, what crypto represents is a way to materially in- increase the freedom and well being of the people who they are supposed to dole out freedom and well being to, right? Without them having to do anything, it's like manna from heaven to but them. There's no to me the only argument I could possibly see is people being like well we know it's kind of based on bullshit but as long as the musical chairs keep fucking moving and people keep buying into the hype that's that much more revenue we make in capital gains taxes because people are obligated to pay them other than that I cannot see a fucking use for it because well, we're back to Instagram stories a lot of these people are fundamentally stupid like they're just like this sounds good it is fucking magic beans like mm. except magic beans could be a bean you could yeah. have a single bean it might sprout if you're lucky it's probably yeah. just a fucking navy and you might have like you know one one millionth of a soup when it fucking sprouts, but that's more than crypto. But I, what I'm hearing is that these beans are magic. Nate, I've I've never seen your relaxation vein before. 
Yeah. <laughs> Nace like, gone Milo, and, and the And again, the answer to this is partly that the reason that you're sitting here uh, at this table and they're sitting in the treasury is that they believe the fundamental theory of, say, crypto and Bitcoin, which is that if only we get enough transactions happening, right? Because that's the... Pro- Remember the promise of Web3? It says, look, you're engaging in a lot of transactions when you go, say, browse the internet, right? Twitter is taking your personal information and you're getting to, you know... Um, uh, post what you had for lunch. And we're saying we want to make those transactions much more front and center and much more obvious because you're going to have in a crypto-based world, this Web3 world or whatever, or, or whatever other iteration of the crypto promise it was, you're going to have materially more freedom because all of the transactions you enter into with other people are going to be denominated in a kind of money so you can value how much you're going to pay to post your lunch. Um, how much you're going to pay to post your lunch at peak time, for example. And then the idea, the, and again, I think they have to really believe this to get into that situation, right? Is that they can say, we are going to maximize everybody's well-being because everyone will have agreed to, to exchange some kind of uh, um, medium of, of, of value, right? In order to do everything that they're doing. There won't be anything outside that world. And, that, and to them... That is a f- it, it, that it's like a free way to materially increase freedom and also to decrease the role of institutions. They, I think that m- a lot of the austerity freaks, they love crypto because it says we can finally get rid of everything but the cops because all of the other things won't have to be administered by people. We're just going to have the code and then you can vote to change the code based on how much money you have. And I simply, after receiving billions of dollars of what feels like the world's most manic timeshare pitch, simply can only respond to this by saying, don't think I'll be doing that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I cannot imagine that I am the only person on planet Earth who feels that way. Crypto investors on edge after trying some things that Colombian investors sent them in the mail. <laughs> and, I mean, the thing is, right, it's that there, I think there was this mad dash to integrate this into the state for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Partly is the reason, I, as I explained, is that a lot of the Treasury people genuinely believe that. Uh, and the, uh, the, one of the other reasons as well is that the last big sort of wave or what felt like the last big wave of tech innovations, which again, came out of the central bank, basically, mm-hmm. right? That last, that, that thing that, that where the appearance of, say, being a consumer was visibly changed the government ha- governments have been wrangling with that for the last basically 12 years, and they've never really been able to try to capture what seemed to be the lightning in the bottle that like Uber and Netflix were able to capture, yes. right? Because even now, you know, the, um, I, th- I believe the most recent version of this was it was claimed that the NHS should learn lessons from Netflix. Which I guess means they need to make Spencer confidential. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what I presume they mean by that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I want that. Five year waiting list for my golden yeah. arm surgery. UCLH Hospital pantomime Spencer confidential <laughs> Christmas 2022. I'm sorry. We can't give you the pussy, but we can give you a Mark Wahlberg. We can get Chrissy Teigen is here to consult. I was just trying to fucking transition. I came out of the hospital. They've turned me into Mark Wahlberg's asthma. I'm walking upstairs fucked up. I, I, really, I really, really do want to see this Netflix biopic mm. about Bob Mark Wahlberg Catter. Yeah, that is a... Oh, people are entitled to this. I don't even know how I'm going to do that. I mean, people are entitled to their sexual proclivities. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to spend any more time on it because in the last two months, three people have been torn to pieces by crocodiles in uh, North Queensland. Okay, so this is this is what it was. It was Sajid Javid. There you go. Are Sa- you happy now? <laughs> yeah. Yes. You've taken his blood. No, Sajid Javid says the NHS is, quote, like blockbuster in the age of Netflix. Um, what the... Well, what it means is, right... Well, Netflix in the age of Netflix. <laughs> but what that actually means, right, is that there... There, it feels as though there have been these massive changes in how most people live their lives and that the state, because of, you know, again, a lot of reasons we've discussed, chronic underinvestment, but also just not, no one in charge really has a good theory of what the state should really do, uh, has been sort of has felt unable to keep up, if you will. And so whereas they, whereas they spent from like, I don't know, 2010 till 2019, sort of humming and hawing about how they're going to incorporate the insights of Uber into like uh, a DWP or whatever. Um, crypto offers, a, offers them, I think, a chance to have the government much more directly involved and to try to, and to, try to, get, and to, to try to get ahead of it. But the difference is, is that, like, like the, the, again, the last version of the economy, it did perform a function now that function was in many cases very bad. That function was in many cases to do things like depress wages, to strip rights, and so on and so on. But it's almost like whether or not you agree with it, it did act on the world in a meaningful way. And the At difference is an ethos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the difference is is that what they're trying to jump in front of and claim is a sort of, a, a, and that's claiming again in its marketing and a lot of the marketing written by credulous journalists who don't really understand it. Um, would say, oh, this is the next wave of that. And so they basically, they try, they say, well, we can get in on it this time. <coughs> Riley, have you ever heard of a game called Drug Wars? I have not. Alice, have you ever heard of it? Uh, it rings a bell, but Milo. remind me. Yeah, and people used to play this on calculators. Yeah, right? Drug Wars was a, game, a text game you could play on the TI-83 calculator, and it's somehow, a graphing calculator, it, it's, it's been ported to some smartphone. Would you call a man who's played that boring? <laughs> <laughs> Drug Wars posits a deranged sort of fantasy version of New York City in which uh, you can take the subway between the multiple boroughs of New York City, which are the Bronx, Central Park, Manhattan, Ghetto, Brooklyn, and Queens. I didn't realize that Ghetto was a bureau <laughs> of New York City. And you people can, live in Central Park, exactly. And you can buy, you can buy yeah, dealing drugs to the squirrels in every in every uh, in every borough, uh, unofficial and otherwise. You can buy drugs or sell drugs at different prices, and you can acquire mm-hmm. them and then travel to the boroughs where prices may be up or down depending on the situation. Things like, for example, the pigs are selling cheap speed is one of them. For example, you can buy mm-hmm. speed from the cops, or you can turn around and then sell it really fast uh, somewhere else. Similarly, with cocaine, heroin, crack, uh, marijuana, etc. However, uh, the cops might stop you. There's a random chance the, stop, the cops might stop you, and you can either fight them with a gun if you have one, or you can run. If you get arrested, you lose all your drugs and your money, and you start from zero. And I feel as though that is the only use case I can think of, because drug wars posits a problem, which is if you're running around selling drugs in person, the cops might stop you, and you might lose all your money. Whereas if you can anonymously sell drugs on the dark web using crypto and do small transactions because i can't imagine you want to to risk shipping a kilogram of cocaine through the post you know anonymously that would make you very nervous if you were go up against the federal law enforcement agency with a 99 percent conviction right exactly you don't want to do that but small small drug shipments that makes sense that's the only use case i can think of for crypto where i'm like i understand why people use it anonymous currency anonymous transactions you know cryptography to scramble your addresses that makes sense. The rest of this, it genuinely feels like 
everyone thinks they're in on a joke and no one knows what the actual joke is. Well, the actual joke is that all of the people who all of the people who talked about how fiat was doomed, how crypto was an inflation hedge, how who said have fun being poor, uh, all of those people, yeah, the um, most likable people in the world. What gotcha. they did was they're about to have fun. Uh, they um, gave you all of these valuable database entries for your terrible old fiat. Uh, and you know what? Now they're stuck with huge amounts of fiat currency that's going to be worthless any day now. I simply don't think I'll be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what else I can possibly yeah. say, but I just, I simply won't be doing that. And I think we won't be carrying on any further with this episode. Yes, segue. Because uh, it's time for us to, I mean, as far as you're concerned, the listener, it's time for us to go away uh, back and live, live silently in your phone for several days. I'm going to go and sell all my Dogecoin. Yeah. It seems <laughs> as though it might be decreasing in value. That's right. Let, let's all go and sit quietly. Yeah. Mm. We're going to go sit quietly for a couple of days, according to you. We're going to go according, into stasis. According to us, we're going to, because uh, I was away and then got unwell, uh, record the next episode basically right now. Mm. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. We have a Patreon if you want to hear bonus content. $5 a month gets you a ton of content. $10 a month gets you two Britnologies a month. You have a lot of content to choose from. Milo, yeah. do you have any shows coming up? There's do you have a, whole, a whole bunch of content. Um, I'm do- yeah, I mean, you, I can plug most of our domains, podcasts that I do, but also um, I am doing the Edinburgh Fringe. If you're going to be in August, between the 4th and the 28th of August, my show will be on. It's called Voicemails at 4.35 p.m. at the Mash House. Also, Trash Future will be doing a fringe show That's Friday, right. the 26th of August. And I ra- will be there. The first Trash Future live show I'll be, uh, I'll be at. I will have to be mm. struck by lightning or the novel coronavirus not to yeah. take an hour train from, from Glasgow. Yeah. Our, our, our fringe show will be at The Space, which is um, uh, saying it reminds me of a very niche YouTube video, which plaudits if you remember the line, and his friend, The Space, falls in love with cocaine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Riley yeah, also has that some one. shows to uh, to plug too. You have the Bottleman. I do. Yes, with me and uh, Dan Beckner, uh, which is very mm. fun. And um, Alice has. I have well, your problem, and I have Kill James Bond. Yeah, that's true. And I have what a hell of a way to die. And also, it is my duty to inform you that our theme music is a song called "Here We Go" by Ginseng, and I will link to it in the show notes. Mm. Oh, I've been I've been handed a bulletin just before we go. Um, it appears that Labour has finally taken a strong position on the strikes. Shadow cabinet members being banned from attending pickets. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we're going to leave you and we're going to go into recording the bonus episode. People find picket lines boring. <laughs> <laughs> they should do lines with me, Keir Starmer. And right. The Marks only instead. lines members of the shadow cabinet should be doing single gunshot rings out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. bye. bye.